Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. My name is Kalen Wojcik, and I am one of your hosts, along with Philip Vallejo. And in this episode, which happens to be number 77, we are going to introduce Mr. Ryan Diagostino. Ryan is with us down in Pig River, Virginia, helping out with a big student workload on a couple of classes that we're teaching down there. And Ryan is a well-versed precision rifle enthusiast, has gone to a lot of different training courses, and brings a lot to the table with his experience. We had a great conversation with Ryan, getting to know him, understanding what his background is, and his philosophies on specific aspects of precision rifle shooting and training. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. And you guys know the drill. Keep your faces on the gun. We are here in some dope-ass house at Pig River 2022. This is our third year coming to Rocky Mount, Virginia. And we just finished up with positional clinic day one, 15 students, pretty awesome day. Yeah, it was. We had a, we had a nice, we had a great weather day too. It was, well, the first year we came here, it was super, super cold and like damp. And it was like, I think it topped like 45 degrees during the day and it was windy. And um, it just made for, it, it made for like long days. So it pretty is sure autumn a, on the East Coast. I'm pretty sure you had a down jacket on. Oh, absolutely, man. And you were teaching class. I remember having pictures of it and I was like. We were under the, we were dude, under the awning. We were freaking cold. And we had um, an intro, it was a, it was an intro class. Yeah. And everybody was under the awning. We were trying to give classes and uh, <laughs> everybody's all buttoned up and gloves on trying to take notes and shivering the wind was blowing through there in the shade and i was just like hey this is this is perfect this is a great learning environment <laughs> yeah no uh one of the things um josh has made expansion to his range we've had some new targets uh changed up the props a little bit from last time that we were here which i'm sure people that have shoot shoot here all the time have seen the changes obviously already but for us because we've only came out here once a year yeah right we've seen um pretty uh, noticeable changes um which is fine because it just more targets help with the curriculum and then you know different props just help us be able to talk about how we negotiate it if we were in that s situation as a competitive shooter um, but positional clinic to, what, what was the our like driving factor of why we wanted to do positional clinic instead of like a intro class here because typically that's what we usually do out here we usually do yeah we do usually do a, a an intro class and then uh i think our first year we did an intro class and an advanced class after it um and then i think last year we also did an intro and a two-day clinic afterwards was it wind reading uh, no, we last year we had uh, either a intro to competition and an advanced competition, I believe, last year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You're right. Um, no, it's it's a good venue here. Uh, Josh runs a tight ship. He has a great range. Um, don't drive on his fucking grass. Um, it's pretty. You know, it's a great place to shoot, and it's always been challenging 
uh, challenging condition with wind. It seems like each year it's been a different wind direction, predominant wind direction. We had one year where it was coming straight from behind us and fishtailing. And then we had one year last year, it was blowing solid left to right. And then now this year it's kind of blowing in our face. So it'll be interesting to see what the, what the rest of the week brings. And, and um, Josh is always, is also not always, but also doing his blacked out boar night match this week, which is going to be kind of cool. Yeah. So like Friday night's going to be a daylight or I'm sorry, a, a white light night match. And then on Saturday night is going to be the totally blacked out um, night vision slash thermal bring what you got type event. So um, we have a, a guest on our today. If you want to, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself or I don't know. Do we can introduce. You think he yourself. wants to introduce himself? Or Not preferably. Can, no. He can introduce right. himself. <laughs> I'll just leave it at I'm Ryan. Uh, um, he's saving somebody's privates. <laughs> Still trying to find my own, I guess. Saving uh, Ryan's privates. My my handle. But uh, really, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for having me. So this this class position, we've got 15 students. Having a third instructor always helps. It just helps take off the pressure for for Caitlin and I, or just two instructors, to try to to manage 15 people. Um, but in all honesty, too, we've we had a really good class. This this class, I mean, um, yeah. all different backgrounds, uh, and all different goals. Right? We've got uh, hunters. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of professional snipers. Mm-hmm. We do. You know, I think over, I think over a third of the class makes up professional snipers, which is cool. Yeah. I think it was like, yeah, five dudes. Like five. And then, yeah, and then five Josh being six, you know. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got those guys and then, you know, the other guys being competitive shooters. So it's a, it's a really cool mix. And um, yeah. So today uh, we started off with uh, just our, a normal intro followed by um, our uh, safety brief, right? And then followed by just having these guys zero. And, you know, one of the things that we get a lot, all the time with our our classes, whether they be advanced or, you know, any of our like wind clinics and stuff like that is like, hey guys, I wanna do a wind clinic, but it's, (laughs) do I have the, time to zero my rifle it's like yes like i i mean if you go to a course and the instructor doesn't allow you to check your zero i mean like you should probably ask for your money back (laughs) that's true i would agree it's um i guess it's kind of like for us it's implied knowledge but then again uh having various conversations with other people and going to different classes and hearing how those different classes are conducted, it, it's sometimes it's not surprising to hear that. And you just go, okay, well, that's just how that particular individual does things. But it's advantageous for you to allow a student to check their zero. So that way it gives them the, the confidence that they need to be able to focus on what you're trying to teach them. Yeah. Right. In this case, it happens to be managing all of the aspects that come with a wobble zone. They're having a wobble 
of your site picture on the target, right? So, but if that guy's worried, if if he's got that sneaking suspicion that a zero is not there's a confidence good, issue. there's a confidence issue, and that's where his attention's going to be, and it's For not sure. going to be focused on what he needs to be, or she, right? Because yeah. Stephanie's in class, and um, our sport is growing with a female presence anyways. It's getting far more popular for females. So yeah, you wanna give students the ability to check their zero and you wanna give them the ability to have confidence in their system. So that way they can have the majority of their focus directed at what it is that you're trying to teach them. I 100% agree. I know when I was teaching my intro courses, like the three day ones, at least day one and day two, um, you're, we're checking Z's. Because the reason I throw in day two is because day one I harp a lot on the fundamentals because it's an intro course. So we spend a lot of time on 100 first before going to distance. But that way, by the end of day one, they should at least have a better understanding of the fundamentals and get more repetitions of it and how they manage recoil and drive that gun that then they're rested by the end of the day and for the following day they show up, now they might actually have a Z shift I've seen because yeah, I have seen lighting conditions shift zeros as you have, but I think also as far as they drove home those fundamentals all of day one, now they might actually have a, what I would call a better zero. Sure. Uh, day more two. More consistent. Yeah, more consistent. So I always want to make sure on day two because there's every time I'm like, nah, I think we're good. I got to pull someone off the line and re them. It happens. Yeah. yeah. There's always at least one. Yeah, and there's always going to be the student that, you know, they think that their rifle setup is good. They zero their rifle and you're looking at them and you're like, nah, I, don't th I don't think that you're comfortable. But perhaps you've run out of available options of communication at that point in time. Yeah. And then you go, okay, this person just has to figure this out on their own. Right. As we all did at some point. Yeah. Right. So there's a certain element of discovery learning that has to come with, For sure. with these tasks and skills that we're teaching. So, you know, and then it's, you kind of learn to potentially expect it as a teacher. You go, mm -hmm. okay, that's that dude right there. Okay. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to struggle with that. Um, because there's a, there's a breakdown in communication, meaning he's struggling to communicate to me what he's experiencing and seeing and feeling and, or I'm having a breakdown in communication to him about right. what could you possibly feeling, seeing or experiencing. Oh, for sure. Right. So then it's just, you know, that's just comes with the ground. That just comes with the, the turf of learning and teaching. Right? I always take it personal. Like if they're having a hard time it's like how did i fail because it's like i want to because i i think i do a really good job at breaking things down in a layman's terms because i'm as simple-minded as simple gets and so it's like if i understand it there's got to be a way i can break this down so if i'm still having a hard time explaining it to someone it's usually i do decent with it do a pretty good job but everyone's got their own learning style sure. and how they process information mm -hmm. and what analogies work for them. Right. And sometimes I just can't, con can't connect. And that's the hard part 
that's why we that's kind of why we build our our curriculums the way that we do <clears throat> to try to capitalize on the those three learning modalities of uh, audible visual and kinesthetic mm -hmm. and knowing that typically we're going to learn as humans we're going to gravitate towards two out of those three and then we're going to be able to close the loop on the process with whatever the third is remaining right and so you know and then mo most people are pretty aware um you know as as a uh, as adults of how they learn right hey yeah no i learn by watching this like mm -hmm. for me personally i learn i just have to see it and once i see it i visualize it yep and and i can do it i feel like that's most people yeah i mean there's there other people exceptions. out there that you know that they have to they have to uh, perhaps read it yeah. um and then do it several times um some things are just not intuitive right some things aren't, aren't intuitive at all sure. and it's been it's been cool to be able to learn a bunch of different skills because like we know not everybody learns at the same rate everybody else does right so mm -hmm. some things that i thought would have been easy to learn were very very difficult regard yeah. like like we were talking like being a pilot there were a lot of aspects of being a pilot that were very difficult concepts for me to understand a large portion of it is navigation um but as far as the nuances of that navigation sometimes they were difficult to understand and grasp i see that so you understand the fundamentals but then you're then you go okay well how does the, okay wait a minute so this is supposed to this and this and this and then you're and then you do it a bunch of times and then all of a sudden you know that light bulb moment occurs and you sure. go oh that's why they do that yep. okay all right cool now i can do this no problem yeah. i was making this a huge deal when it shouldn't have been <laughs> i found that each fundamental individually if you attack one fundamental individually and try and grasp the concept of it and understanding it's actually pretty simple but it's making them all work in harmony with each yeah. other is what makes shooting so mm -hmm. hard and and being able to uh, craft practical application exercises that highlight each of those skills and how to manipulate each one given the circumstance mm -hmm. yeah yeah because if you if you're a, if you're able to to isolate each one and then build on those meaning you start from you start from level one hey what is it that i need this what is it that i need the student to know how to do before i can take them to the next level and then the next level sure. and then the next level right so um we have to be able to start someplace and it depends like, okay, well, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to fast track this individual mm -hmm. say, well, you don't really need to know about the circle of components. You don't really need to know about how the guns put together. All this particular individual needs to know how to do is shoot it. It's what it you need to know and what we want you to know. Correct. Mm -hmm. And that is always the conundrum with developing a curriculum. It's hard. It's very, very difficult very. to do. Um, and even, even when you have a curriculum like we were discussing on the way home from the range today saying, well, I, I have nine weeks. Even when you have nine weeks, you start looking at that nine weeks and you go, man, that's not a, that's not a whole lot of time. If I'm, yeah. if I'm trying to take somebody from zero, like truly zero 
which is what that curriculum should be designed to do. Sure. Right. It should be designed to do that. And if it, and if you can't do that, then there is a problem with either the curriculum or the administration of that curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's, I'm sorry, man. Like there's going to be people that listen to that and get ass hurt about it, but that's the, that's what it is. That's what it is. Like, I'm sorry. And you know, there's a, you know, you as the, as the teacher have to be able to administer that curriculum. And if the curriculum is broken, then fair enough. That happens a lot, right? You mm -hmm. know, through institutional inertia and, oh yeah, you know, too long of a time span between updating or redeveloping new curricula. Those things happen, right? That's just the way things are. Um, but you as the teacher, you like that's where the rubber meets the road, dude. Like yeah. you're the one who's taking that information and, and then being able to pass it on to um to your students. Absolutely. Like they're I would say yeah, but there is those things where you're gonna find your own journey and you're gonna just it's gonna come with time and you're gonna find what works for you individually. Like what's an example? Um Okay, here's what, earlier today I was telling you how what I found works for me is like even just in the prone position trying to shoot the tightest group possible is favor is a I set up my body position and bag placement in a manner that I inhale, exhale um and on my natural respiratory pause and natural point of aim simultaneously that reticle rises and settles exactly dead center of what I want to hit instead of falling even literally half minute above what I'm trying to zero on and then having to squeeze the bag just mm -hmm. a hair to bring that micro adjustment, mm -hmm. which fundamentally is completely okay. I find that I will always shoot better if I don't even have to really squeeze the bag at all. It's just there as a, as a support not a crutch and find it going up. But that's something that took, that's just one dumb example, but that's something that one of many examples where it's just like, you find it with time and what mm -hmm. works for you individually. And then you figure out a way to explain it. Yeah. That's the hard part. Cause you can do it. There's a lot of people that can do it. Can't teach it. There's a lot of people that can teach it. Can't do it. It's kind of hard to be able to do both. There's, yeah, so you guys know, like, from the, from the military, from the Marine Corps, the systems approach to training, the SAP process. Um, absolutely terrible idea in the sense of how curriculum is administered. I do, I do agree with the way, that they, um, the way that they break down a curriculum and structure it. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's an effective process. Um, however, I don't agree with the fact that if you are, you know, quote unquote, a formal school instructor, qualified means you go to that three week silly course that teaches you how to be a quote unquote podium instructor. They really truly believe that anyone who is qualified as a formal school instructor can administer a curriculum that was developed with that process. Sure. Which to me, even like then, as I think I was probably 
in my mid-20s when I went through that course, I st even then I looked at it and I was like, that's ridiculous. You gotta be, that, how does that even make sense? And still to this day, like 20 years later, I still feel the same way. That's ridiculous. You can teach somebody something, but at the same time, you're not even teaching them anything. You're reading them, you're literally reading them something from a publication or a media slide. It's regurgitation. It's literally regurgitation. You're not teaching anything. You're just speaking the words that somebody could just simply read from a book. Mm -hmm. It's this way it's, because it's always been. Well, there's no experience. There's no life yeah. experience involved. There's no, there's no personal experience involved. There's nothing. And it's very robotic yeah. in its administration. It's very, um, you know, your time cues and all this other ridiculous crap um, that really didn't do anything other than make sure that you adhered to a schedule. Oh, yeah. You did your chores. Yeah, you yeah. did your chores, right? I hit all the wickets in mm -hmm. this in this little lesson plan here, and uh, theoretically, anybody can teach you how to use uh, an M2 machine gun, right? Yeah. How crazy is that? How ridiculous is that? I, f I feel like luckily we're starting to get, and it's not starting as in like it just happened, but it's like past several years, like I noticed at least when I was in the Marines, it was, there was more of that. There was still a lot of that hesitation of questioning why, because you didn't want to get slayed, but it was, I, I find that that transition was starting to happen where they were more understanding and the peer groups were more understanding as far as the progression goes and questioning the why, like, why are we doing it this way? Not saying it's wrong, but not only sure. will it make me um, be able to teach it better, it will give me a better understanding if I at least know why we do something. Yep, that's, that's an interesting point because you're up against a giant machine and you don't realize the, the grandiosity of the machine that you're up against until you have a chance to look at it from the outside in. Right, and mm -hmm. that takes time too, right? That takes sure. time and lived experience, and then you go, oh, yeah, no, I get it now. I totally see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a certain aspect of that that has to be done on a, on a professional level and saying, okay, wait a minute, time out. We need to look at this because this is not making sense anymore, and we need to figure this out because this is what benefits us as warfighters, right? So... Evol evolution of tactics, evolution of skills, um, evolution of equipment, all of that is, is driven through experience. And then someone or a group of people that have the communication skills to be able to take that lived experience and turn it into a um, learning lesson, actionable change, yeah. right? Or, or words that, that, have actionable change result from them like that takes skill in and of itself right and it's uh it's a it's a skill because you can't just stamp your feet and go i want this without having real data to, to supply yeah. right so that's um that's something i think that just comes with time and experience as uh as we go through our lives and, and experience different situations 
and then have that bigger picture view and saying, oh, okay, well, this is why this is why this works this way. Okay, so I have to operate inside these parameters sure. if I want to get shit done. You got to play the right? game. I got to play the game, right? I hate games. As shitty as that is, <laughs> um, you got to play the game. So, yeah, like just we were talking about like procurement and stuff like that. You know, like who does make those decisions? Who thinks that that was a good idea? Who thought the M40A3 was a good idea? Right? You know, who thought that was a good idea? It was a phenomenal idea. No. <laughs> it was a stupid idea. It was a very, it, I mean, I still maintain that to this very day uh, because there were better choices out there. But what we have is directed by politics. And I, that's the end of the, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. Sadly. I, I don't know why, like, I, it could be ignorance, but I don't understand, like, why the U.S. military, like, why are snipers, like, it's like standard issue across the board is like accuracy internationals for, for example i think we were talking about that was yeah we were just like <laughs> trying to like that's an example just like i mean we don't need to go down that rabbit hole but just granted that's just my opinion for whatever it's worth but i've personally am a big fan of ai's like i think like off mm -hmm. off the shelf granted you get what you pay for but off the shelf it's probably one of the best sniper systems. Well, it's, sniper it, yeah, systems. it's a purpose. It's it's always been a purpose-built, intentionally designed sniper weapon system, and, and it happens to be one of the finest ones that's available to us today. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's just uh, it's just you know you, you feel very passionate and very uh, intense about those situations because you're idealistic at that point in time in yeah. your life right you're like hey this should be this way i'm right. still that way yeah so that's <laughs> still uh, and then you, you know and then you have then you you see some things and you have some experiences and you go oh so that's how that works oh man yeah geez i was definitely paddling up a big fast flowing stream yeah that's okay i learned my lessons it is what it is all right so I'm but it just enough. helps us just have a different perspective on things sure and, and I think that's really important to have uh, as a teacher because having different perspective on things, and I didn't always have this attitude, um, but having different perspective on things really helps us grow as individuals because if we're looking at things truly um, without bias as much as possible because we're always gonna have some level of bias, but if we try to look at things without bias, it's just, all it's going to do is just help us have better perception and go, okay, well, all right, well, let's look at the reason why this is. Let's just say there's, there's a, a skill or a tactic that's being taught that you might look at as being goofy. And you're like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. Like, why are you doing that? Stop it. Yeah. Stop just, it right now. <laughs> well, just, let's, why are you doing that? You know, if you're living out of your ego, you're going to be like, you've, Fucking idiot! Why are you doing that? You're, yeah, that's fucking dumb. You know, but instead of legitimately instead of legitimately it. going, okay, well, let's look at why that is the way it is right there, and and say, okay, are there any logical reasons that that could potentially be a viable solution to this problem? Yeah, that's being you know presented to you. And I mean, perhaps there is, and perhaps there's not. But I think largely, as a teacher, it's important to to make sure that you're always open to seeing new things at face value 
because at the end of the day, your job is to communicate information and to be able to, to look at all of the things that are being presented, try them, see what works for you and see what doesn't work and then say, okay, well, just because that didn't, this is why this didn't work for me. Um, but I'm not saying it's not wrong. I'm not saying it is wrong. I'm not saying it's not wrong. I'm just saying that I tried it and this is my experience with it. Yeah. So you guys try it. This is how I learned how to do it. For let, sure. Let me teach you how, and then you can make your own decisions. That's why I always advocate for, um, like anytime I taught a class, I, at the end of it, I'd say, go seek other instructors. For sure. Like I am not the end all be all. That's like, important. I've seeked other instructors. You have, Phil has, like we've all seeked numerous other instructors because like, like we were talking about earlier, you, Phil, myself, other individuals in the industry, none of us invented any of this shit. No. We're just have our own flavor of ice cream and how we deliver it. Mm -hmm. And my flavor might suit your flavor. And now it clicks better with you individually. Or you'd be like, you know what? I don't like chocolate mint. You suck. I'm going to go over to the other instructor and he's pushing cookie dough. Mm -hmm. And so this is a big, I gotta, I seriously gotta change my food analogies. <laughs> <laughs> I am stuck on these food analogies. Subliminal but, messaging, eat yeah. some ice cream in your life. I'm just hungry, man. I was <laughs> always hungry. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting road and it's definitely been fraught with the perils of, of ego um, and you know, uh, insecurity and all of those things that come along with being a young individual who's full of piss and vinegar and very passionate about what they want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And eventually you just come to the conclusion that, Hey man, everybody's going to do what everybody's going to do. And this is just the way that I'm going to present information. And that is what it is. Yeah. I'd say just stay true to as cliche as it sounds, stay true to yourself. <laughs> like, it, but it's like, it's legit because in a world of so many fakes, it's hard to tell who's legit anymore. For sure. And so. Because you can be whoever you want. Yeah, you can. Like I've been manipulated. Like it's, it's, it's a real thing. We all have. And mm -hmm. so trying to find that individual that is actually genuine and has like true passion is actually trying to teach you something, but not because. Instagram said it's the latest and greatest thing. Sure. And they're actually talking from experience, but with the understanding that is also not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard to find now. Yeah. It's getting, you know, for, even for me, it's been getting, you know, harder and harder to look at, look at social media. Um, and just kind of like even be okay with, with, uh, with posting certain things in the sense of like, all right, well, like, where is this coming from? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to, why do you want to do, are you trying, like, are you being honest and, and are you trying to attract attention to yourself or are you trying to attract attention to this particular idea or concept? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's a good point. And so like, there's a very fine line with that stuff. And, and I truly believe that, you know, that's one of the things that we really need to stay focused on and in check with and make sure that, you know, I mean, everybody to each their own, of course, yeah. but anybody can do whatever they want, but it just, um, you know, authenticity is something for me that is like, uh, it's important, but it's also uh, a shadow aspect of myself that I'm learning that I'm working on. Yeah. And it's, um, 
it's been interesting to peel back the layers of that and like how I feel about it. And so it's leading me to have those, those questionable aspects of like social media and be like, okay, like that's, it can get difficult. Yeah. You know, it gets difficult. Definitely. I mean, Instagram is unfortunately that, like we were saying that necessary evil. (laughs) Phil's asleep. (laughs) He's totally asleep. You just got that Morgan Freeman voice, I guess. Just so soothing. Now he's been on the go for quite a while, you know, like going to the, going to the finale and stuff. That's, that's, um, that's mentally taxing. And that's something that, um, I really want to get deeper into, and we were talking about today, like competing. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that's important. I find, I find that it's very important because it keeps you in check with yourself. And it also keeps you in check with, uh, with your own skills because by going to every place that you go shoot, it's a different environment. And it'll humble a, you too. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's a totally different environment and it's, um, it can sometimes be a crapshoot. Um, and you can go on this, it, you can go on this crazy, uh, this crazy roller coaster of experiences when you go do that and go and go shoot those events. And, um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a tremendous amount of fun because you're learning at every place you go. And I, I know that, you know, from, from your background as a, as somebody who is very, very intent on peeling back all of the layers, mm-hmm. it would most definitely be the next yeah. logical step in progression. I spoke to Phil earlier this year about competing next year. So 23. So I intend on hopping into some competitions. I'd like to at least knock it, at least do two, uh, sometime next year, uh, depending on where my life takes me and what I've got going on and everything going on, of course. And then from there, but I definitely would like to get one under my belt. I'm a big fan of now, granted the only competition like formally that I've done was mammoth sniper in 2021. Mm. And I'm a, what'd you think of that? Dude, it, I bitched the entire time, but it's like my process. Cause I was freezing. I like, dude. So, let me backpedal. So you, it was not even the coldest mammoth ever, but it was cold as shit. And it was like 20 something degrees at night. You just slept outside, which is nothing new to me, but I made the biggest boot mistake, which blew my mind looking back at it. I was like, why didn't I do, why did I do this? I didn't pack an isomat. And I just, that was a super, super big mistake. I was like, nah, nah, fam. I don't need this. I needed it, and I went down hard. And yeah, man, first night, I did not sleep. Nope, you're done. Literally the entire night, like the nah, entire dude, field, I can hear people snoring, and I'm just like spazzing out and like having cramps from just like shaking so much. And then it was absolutely miserable. But it, overall, looking back, it wasn't bad. Um, so it's more pistol heavy than people think, and so. I have, like we talked about, I have a, a lot of a background in pistol and carbine stuff too. So if we ended up shitting a stage with precision, I was able to kind of keep us up there with uh, the handgun stuff. Um, and I built an AR-15, just a 5.56, and it did well, man. Like I was shooter too, because like shooter, have you ever done Mammoth? No, I haven't. 
So you have like shooter one and I forgot what their restrictions are, but it's it's relatively more open than shooter two. Shooter two has to run a three oh eight or a five five six, if I remember correctly. Okay. So I was like, all right, well I'll run a five five six for the hell of it. And I had targets out to eight hundred and didn't have any issue doing it. I met uh my partner was a I'm not gonna disclose his name, but he's with OSOC. He's the also the NSW instructor right now, or one of them. And he, uh, I met him like a month before the competition and we shot like one time together before we did this. And out of like 93 tough man teams, I think we came in like 10th and I was like, man, imagine what we could have done if we actually like trained and Mm -hmm. knew each other for a while. But I, I saw, I think what a lot of it would be like how you, how you prep that stage. Cause I was telling some of the students today when they were like timing out, I was like, in my opinion, at least like what makes someone fast time wise, isn't the fact that they're pulling triggers quick. It's the fact that they can accomplish their economy of motion more efficiently and get into and out of positions quicker. Absolutely. And that's where they're save shaving time. So I'm like, if it takes you just random numbers, if it's, it was like you had one minute per target, and it took you 45 seconds just to build the position and get into it. You only have 15 seconds on the back end to confirm your natural point of aim, make a wind call, make right. sure everything's dialed, and press that shot. Yeah, you start to you start to break things down in in like a sequence. You know, if you're trying to do a 10 position 90 second stage mm-hmm. that has movement from all 10 of those positions. That's all got to be budgeted in to your, oh, sure. to your process, right? You're like, oh, okay, well, 90 seconds, 10 positions. Damn, dude, nine seconds per nine seconds per, per position. So that that's means, not a lot. That means I have to from the time from the time I press the trigger, you need to move to the time the bullet like to the time the bullet impacts, and I can at least read the plate to know if my wind call is good. Yeah, I literally have <laughs> nine seconds from that instant to move to the next position, build it, press the trigger, Mm -hmm. and do that whole thing all over again. That's a good point, actually. So, yeah, yeah, you have to budget. That time of flight alone, plus your processing of information. Yeah, I gotta be able to see it. I totally gotta be able to see it. So, yeah, you start budgeting your time. We've had this conversation in the past, like with, with female shooters, in, in the precision rifle series mm-hmm. and in the in the precision shooting sports, once the once they connect to the rifle, right? Once once you get a sight picture, it's gender neutral, mm-hmm. right? There's no there's no, no it difference. It doesn't mean anything, right? So the difference is the ability to move from position to position and manipulate the the weapon to get it to do what you want it to do or yep. what you need it to do. And that's the, that's the, that's the, it's not a disparity, but it's the difference between a male shooter and a female shooter. Because like I said, once, as soon as you connect to that rifle, you get a sight picture, it's totally gender neutral. Everybody's seeing the same shit, mm-hmm. right? So um, the economy of motion is really, really important. And uh, one of the shooters that, that I definitely um, admire and look at with that regard is is Nick Gadarzi up up in the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. Nick is a ridiculously methodical shooter. 
in the sense that every motion that he makes is very, very deliberate. There's his, intent. Yeah, he's yeah. got intention behind everything he does. He's, he's methodical, but he's also, his efficiency, he appears to be moving slow, but he's not moving slow. He's moving wicked fast, but his motions are, are nothing but intentional. It's very fluid. Yeah, very fluid. Um, he manipulates a bolt very slowly, but it's with it with purpose. But at the same time, it's efficient, so therefore it's equally as fast. Yeah. He's not upsetting the rifle nearly as much. All of his motions are very calculated and calm, and he's just a very fluid shooter, right? And I'm not. I'm I'm the opposite because I come from a different background. I come from a background of must move, you yeah. know, shoot, move, communicate. And and so that's one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on with my own shooting style is to back off that and be a little bit less uh, uh, tense. I never got that impression. Driving behind the rifle um, and being more, uh, trying to just have more economy of motion, more efficiency in the things that I do. I mean, I, I watched you shoot a little bit and I was like, it's, everything seemed fluid. It seemed pretty fluid. Like you follow through to recover but as soon as that recovery aspect and process of information was done you were racking bolt and re already setting up for the next thing like they, there was there was no wasted time no. every second had an intention right yeah for sure but then like you know that that it, in what you see right and what you think and then what i yeah. think <laughs> oh, right yeah. what's going on in my own psyche yep I'm saying, oh, okay, that was a little, I upset the gun a little bit too much with that bolt throw. I could, I could back off on that. But that's self-awareness, which is really good to have. Yeah, right. So, but absolutely, it's good to have. But then it's the, the next level is the ability to, to put all that into practice, right? That's true. And go, yeah. Because there's a lot of things to tend to. And that's what we were talking to students about today is, you know, that's why we expect you to have a certain uh, foundation of your skills to show up to a clinic like this because... You know, I'm not, um, I shouldn't have to teach you how to zero your gun or I shouldn't yeah. have to make sure that you can shoot uh, a good tight group from the prone position. Like those are already skills that you should have established. Sure. Because now we're going to take those marksmanship skills to the next level and teach you how to apply them from uh, positions that are uh, less stable than the prone. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a challenge because for some people making that visual physical connection is difficult right it's, it's difficult to see what you need to see and then program your mind to therefore program your body to make those minute adjustments in your shooting position to get that wobble zone to go away and then to redirect your natural point of aim to where it actually needs to be yeah and also when you, you don't know what you don't know so it's like you might see it, but you don't even know that what you're seeing is less efficient or I'm not going to say wrong, but maybe less sure. efficient. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like, okay, a prime example, a uh, natural point of aim, you and I are on the same page. Like I've been saying for years, like if I had to pick one fundamental, that's the most important, my opinion, natural point of aim. And so if you, can you have natural point of aim with an improper body position? Yes. Technically, because sure. yeah. it's wherever the rifle wants to lay, mm -hmm. but it's less efficient. So if you were breathing in and out, you would see that reticle rising and falling along the Z axis mm -hmm. versus the Y axis. 
But if you're a new shooter, like you don't know what you don't know. You don't right. know that scene. Like I remember, I looking back, I always had a Z axis breathing in and out. And now I look back and I'm like, I wish I knew that then. Uh-huh. So I think it's important having a coach or teacher. Like I, I'm, I'm a fan of those words that you use because words have meaning. And when you say coach or teacher versus just an instructor, like I was saying today, it felt more like a class that you didn't have to be in. You willingly paid to sign up and be in. You were being taught something, not just like instructed, like, all right, this is what we're doing. Here's some cool drills, like, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh And so it can help you self-diagnose that and make you more mentally aware on being able to isolate something and adjust from there. Yeah, I think that's important because this is a very like introspective activity. Yeah. Very, it's a very introspective activity because it's just you and you and you, right? So you, you're the one seeing everything that's happening and whether it's, you know, it's whether or not you wish to believe what's happening and acknowledge what's happening and then do something about that. Unlike me today on target four, I was like, nah, bro, my dope's fine. And it was not fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's some things like that happen to us, you know, like, um, we make mistakes and we get distracted, whatever that, whatever that distraction may come from. And those are the frustrating aspects of, of performance or of consistent performance anyways. Um, but that's really all we're trying to do with these, with these shooters. It's, um, is teach them how to have that introspection to look at and go, okay, yeah, all right, this is happening. I'm witnessing this, this happening so what do i need to do to correct that yeah because if you're not truly honest with yourself you're just going to chase it anyways and you're never going to come to a conclusion it's true and i found that there's also i feel like this topic does come up a lot like instructors versus teachers are also it's i understand why it comes up hell i just brought it up it's valid points but i would also say that there is something about at the end of the day yeah it's your job as you know, teacher, coach, to to mentor that individual into learning something. But at, so the blame usually goes on you. It's kind of like the quarterback. But there is something about something to be said about being a good student. Like oh, you sure. have to show up yeah. with the right mindset that you're willing to change something. Mm-hmm. That you're willing to listen and not just listen and apply and say, "Oh, I go, I went and trained with Modern Day Sniper," or like uh, when I went totally, to Hat yeah. Creek, oh, I went to Hat Creek and trained to Brian Morgan. I didn't go there just to say I learned from, I trained at Hat Creek. I learned, or I went there because I went with an open mind to completely learn something new or different. Mm-hmm. And you have to go into it, in my opinion at least, you have to go into a class setting, no matter how advanced you think you are, willing to understand that you're, you may learn something new. For sure, man. In Absolutely. a more efficient way. Hundred percent. Unfortunately, I've had students that just, uh, you know, they show up and they they think consciously, like we were talking about conscious and subconscious. Like consciously, they think they're there to, you know, learn something. Hence, why they signed up for a class. But subconsciously, they're not willing to adapt. Right. Yeah. And that and there's something to there's something to be said for that, because the behaviors that we exhibit as human beings through our personalities are mostly subconscious, anyways. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So, um, 
like you said, somebody can say all of the right things, yeah. can say all the words, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're actually going to do all of the things. I might not be seducing you well enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the nature of, of human beings. Um, you can lead the horse to water, you can't make a drink. For sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we have a good group of people, this class. Oh, for sure. And everybody is, uh, It's we have, like we started off talking about, we have some professionals in the class that are, law enforcement snipers, which is always great to have because that um, that discipline or that aspect of the discipline of precision shooting is, is I wouldn't say it's stagnant, but it's just kind of like slow, you know, it's it kind is. of slow to catch on. Why do you think that is? Because I've always found that the military and law enforcement are so like always behind civilian and why? I truly believe that a lot of it is egoic, man. Because I've lived it, right? I've lived it, and you've li you've lived it. Yeah. And when you're in that environment, and um, you haven't had a chance to grow yet, and uh, and you see things through your own lens, mm -hmm. right? The lens that you're currently wearing, the shade that you're currently looking through, your right? filter, <laughs> your filter, um, that can be that can be deceiving, and it can be uh, unfortunately limiting in a lot of ways. And I'm saying that freely because like I've experienced that myself looking back on how I've shown up in the past, limiting yourself based upon, you know, your perception of, of the world at that point in time. But I truly believe that those, that, that those organizations or some of those organizations, not all of them, of course, that would be really foolish to say, hmm. but there is a resistance to embracing new techniques, modernized shooting mechanics, uh, things like that. Yeah. And I think uh, largely it's just because it's like, hey, this is what we've always done and this is the way we do it. And um, you know what? Learning new stuff is hard. So therefore we're not gonna do that. I mean, I, I get it, but I don't. Yeah, I've, like... I've, like I've taught CQB classes as an assistant instructor with 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 SWAT teams and this one team in particular was still utilizing old school room clearing techniques that would otherwise be known as something called strong wall. Mm -hmm. um, not nearly as effective as current free flow techniques in CQB and you know I'm not I'm I've, I'm not an expert in CQB whatsoever. That was one of those things that I was like super stoked that I actually just was able to sit back and watch mm -hmm. and listen. And all I'm really doing is 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 assisting with marksmanship and being an RSO. Sure. Right? That's it. That's all like I don't understand I understand the fundamental aspects of the tactics, but like I'm super interested in the minutiae of why you're doing it this way. So yeah. I'm gonna shut the fuck up. Yeah. I'm gonna stand back in the corner. And I'm going to listen to everything it is that you have to say. Yeah. Um, and we would prove it. This particular instructor that we had, extraordinarily proficient, um, ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. And he has a tremendous amount of experience, like real world experience. And he's lived to be able to teach it. So I'm watching these students receive this information. And it's clearly clearly more effective tactics because we're proving it with with sim munitions yeah. over and over and over and over and over again 
right? But the, the, the leadership of this team looked at it through the lens of saying, well, the majority, half or half of my team is old, older dudes mm -hmm. that it's that old dog, new tricks type thing, right? And they're just like, yeah. well, we're not going to be able to drop. We're not going to be able to do this. And then the other half of the team, however, is young dudes that have only been on the team for a very short amount of time. Yeah. And they're, and those guys are full. They're the dudes that are full of piss and vinegar. Eager to learn. They're the eager to yeah. learn. They're like, dude, I am fucking here. Baby I'm, bird feed I'm me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> like this is, I'm super stoked, right? So teach me. Mm -hmm. And then you got the, the older generation that is very resistant to learning new tactics. And then the reason that they're saying that they don't want to do that is they're saying, well, everybody knows this technique and we know that the new guys, this was the crazy logic, right? This was the bizarre logic. They're like, they, we know that the new guys are going to pick this stuff up. Most Ricky tick, right? We know that they're going to pick it up and they're going to be able, because they're, they're like, uh, they're like you said, little baby birds. And they're like, um, okay, well, you want to teach me how to cross the street this way? Or you want to teach me how to cross the street this way? Right? How do we want to do this? You just tell me how and I'm going to do it. Right? So the older guys knew that. And it was the older guys that were super resistant because they really subconsciously were resistant to learning a new skill. They didn't want to admit they were wrong. Correct. Yeah. And so that's the ego's way of saying, I don't want to learn a new skill. Yeah. So I'm just going to bitch about it in another way. Right. And it was like, okay, well, I mean, sh this is your department. This is your team. We're, we're just here to, we're here to teach you yeah. these aspects and you can take it or leave it, whatever you want to do. I got to say like in the industry, when I say industry, just, I mean like it's a very broad term, kind of like government. <laughs> It's like, I would say, in oh, the there's, industry, yeah, there's like, many sub, sub, sub industries, yeah, right? In the industry, as far as like instruction, firearm instruction goes, I would say CQB is probably the most scared, like the most terrifying thing to put yourself out there to teach because it has the biggest back. Like you have, you could do everything perfect to the T, not that I know what it is because I, I have like, I am in no position to talk CQB, full disclosure. But I see people on Instagrams like CQB is like the hot shit. And it's like, it no matter what you do, you've got comments blowing the fuck up about, well, I would have done it this way. And this is why this is, and it just goes haywire. And that's why it's like, well, even if I, had the knowledge to teach it i would not that's it's because instagram isn't even real bro it's not, it's, it's not it's not even a real place it dude i don't understand it but that <laughs> i posted this video um i was at the uh, nsw schoolhouse and i was I, I was lucky enough to get invited out there and just did a, a course of fire i don't know if you saw it it was some video with some marathon targets mm -hmm. uh you did see it mm -hmm. so i had so many comments about and you can tell it's the people that can't disconnect from the difference between just a course of fire and scenario based training. And people were like, well, if I were a sniper, I would have taken you out while you were sitting there on the ledge or it's like, 
if a machine gunner was in that tree line, they would have mowed you down. Like, bruh, like, we could play the what-if game all day long. This was literally just a course of fire, and you took it totally wrong. It's just coming up some stairs, elevating your heart rate a little bit, and then shooting some moving targets. That's literally the only thing. There's mm -hmm. no context to it other than... We're going to apply some skills. That is it. That's it. I was like, I mean, dude, if we're... If this is what we're doing, we're playing the what if game. I had CAG Team Six freaking providing cover fire for me. All right. And I called in call for fire and I also had CAS. So it's like, all right. And I got a 25 it, kill streak and I called in a nuke. So again, that's, <laughs> that's the thing with social media. It's nothing but just a massive projection fest. Yeah. And it's, it's all toxic. It's, it's a necessary evil. It's really bad. Especially as a business. Like, I, I really wish it wasn't. It's, um, I agree. It's it's one of those things that's uh, like you said. It is a necessary evil, but you just look at some of the things that that people say, and you're just blown away, beyond so blown hate. away. And that's one of the things that that people say is just like, hey man, you can't look at the comments. Just don't look at the comments. You just can't. Whatever you do, don't. And I don't anymore. Like I really don't. But you can't I shut them off. Don't. Because if you shut them off, it says that you're closed-minded. And not for sure, I get that. It's, but like you're torn. Nah, you, you just don't. You don't look at it. Um, you know, it's there's a very like you can tell when it's your when it's your your people or your friends um, versus somebody that just wants to be uh, wants to just project project their insecurities onto you. That's all it's doing. It's crazy, man. You yeah. like really see how much hate someone has that they go it's, out of their way to. Yeah, like... it's pretty crazy. Like that's literally a human being. Yeah, that is is acting in that in that manner, and so like if I see something I don't like, guess what? I just keep scrolling. Yeah, there's a you you have <laughs> a choice. You, you you have a choice in that. You totally have a choice to, <laughs> to respond in that. So choose wisely. So, uh, no man, it's um it's 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 been it's been good to see the the law enforcement aspect start to, to show up a little bit more, especially these guys in this particular class, they got some really good equipment. They got some Seiko uh, TRGs. That was sweet. They're brand new, um, really good, really good equipment, well appropriated, and they're also here ready to learn. So that's super cool. Yeah. And you know, when you do see a department that has good equipment and you see the people that are running that equipment that respect it, and are and they honor it right by saying holy shit dude like my department bought me a trg 42 that's pretty cool so they've invested in me so therefore i'm gonna commit to learning this equipment yeah to its maximum cap capability uh, including myself i forgot his name but i'm horrible with names um the the gentleman whose rifle we shot that he told me he was telling me after oh, john John, John Jacob Jingleheimer nope, Schmidt. It wasn't him. No, it was the tall one. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes, that's right. His name is John too. He's from. Um, they're both, I believe, from a department out of Maryland. Yeah, he bought that rifle himself. Like he, but like I, I think he was saying the department. Don't quote me on this, but there was like the, a first generation that the department had bought. Oh, okay. And he liked and it he, so much. He, he purchased it. it from him. Yes, it was like a, kind of a dermo item. Yeah, got a thing. solid price for it. And cool. I gotta say, man, like I didn't expect to really like it. Immediately no, it was first it was rounds, really, really smooth shooting rifle. It was, oh my god, it was awesome. Yeah, I was just, I was like, one, you hopped on that seven hundred, 
drilled it consistently and then I hopped on, drilled it consistently. And it was, it just made the moment that much better where the sun was because you could see the reflection off the boat tail. Yeah, it was kind of cool. the bullet. So you literally saw the physical bullet dropping in a target. That's cool. And you could tell that the 308 has a longer time of flight. Oh, for sure. You're watching that <laughs> thing just like, yep. yeah. Because like then I went to 1130 and I was like, damn, dude, I must have missed so far off this target because I, I don't even see. And then I see Splash like literally miss like two inches off the right edge of the target. And I was like, dude, this, this rifle fucks. <laughs> like in yeah. a good way yeah it's a it's a it's a good it's a good system i'm curious i mean for for the longest time i mean it was it was accuracy international and seiko right those were the two i didn't know that yeah those were the two you know top top of the line sniper weapon systems of of the world i did not know that mm -hmm. i'm one I'm, I'm curious on the repeatability of popping the barrel off putting it back on how well it retains zero sure yeah. i'm sure it's solid mm -hmm. but well, like this, this class, I mean, I took, uh, I was telling, I try to like get people to understand to, and I, I guess this potentially comes with just time. Like I used to be that same person that was like hyper-focused on making sure that I had a perfect zero and, you know, making sure that everything was super, super dialed. And now it's like, it's a rifle. Yep. Right? Like. It's gonna do things. It's gonna it's gonna be consistent, um, and like, you know, today I took a, that that particular barreled action at home. I took it out of a, a, a chassis that I was gonna send off and get and have painted, and so I dropped it into this chassis that I brought here. And I don't usually shoot this forend and all the you know, right all the things right. It's just a it's kind of a Frankenstein that I needed that I put together to come to this class to teach with. Sure. And so it feels it feels different just even having the different forend on there. Mm -hmm. It just it's different, right? Um, but I took that rifle out of a stock at home and this this barreled action shoots really really well. And um, I, I just put it in this in the chassis, brought it here. I didn't remove the scope from the barreled action. One whole group, you yeah. know, at point of aim point of impact at 100 yards here. Like and it, on top of like that alone was impressive, but to top it off, taking the suppressor off and just using the same dope. Yeah, I just use the same far? dope. I just kind of wanted to check like, it out. I shot it all the way out to um, seven, seven fourteen. Yeah, and it was. Right. It, you were getting impacts. Yeah, I was getting impacts. And they weren't on even big like targets. Minute and a half to two minute of angle yeah. plates. So it was just. I just wanted to see it and go. Okay, well. You know, the suppressor has a little bit more uh, different recoil impulse, and I just brought a muzzle brake. And so I was like, yeah, let's just give it a shot, see what happens. Took the suppressor off, threw the muzzle brake on, shot at that, the target at 400 yards, hit it seemingly dead center. It's like, okay, cool. Let's take it out to the next target, the next target, the next target, the next target. We're getting hits. And I ended up cleaning the course of fire without even re zeroing for that was uh, awesome. going from a suppressor to a muzzle brake. That's awesome. So, it's like little things like that where we where we we just gotta like almost get over all of that that stuff that we convince ourselves that potentially could contribute to why we're not hitting the target. Yeah, there there's something that I had some instructors say to me before, and it really resonated with me is, well, everything matters technically, but to what degree does it yeah. actually matter? Mm -hmm. Like. Hmm. Well, 
is Coriolis real? I'm not even going to start that topic of conversation. It's a real thing. Yeah. But mm -hmm. are you missing your target because of it? No, you're not. No. no. Are you missing because of parallax? No. No. <laughs> no. It's like you got to just let it be and yep. trust that, mm -hmm. hey, dude, you fucked up. Yeah. You pressed the trigger when you shouldn't have. Yeah. Or a bad wind call. Or yeah. you pressed the trigger when you wanted to, but your position was, shit. was sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <clears throat> there's so many different things that can go wrong. Philip talks about that a lot when he gives his uh, his triangle of truth class, right? So it's like, hey, what are the three factors that contribute to you consistently hitting targets at distance? Founda foundational principles, which are the fundamentals of marksmanship, good data, and a good win call. It's everything, not negotiable. It's, everything outside of that is nothing but noise. Yeah. White noise. Yeah, right. it has an effect, maybe they, to a fraction, but nothing it you effect, can resonate with. And right, exactly. So, like, it, it should be looked at as a progression of skills. So, <clears throat> like, if you went from if you went from taking an intro course to going up and shooting in Riggins, Idaho, immediately afterwards, you wouldn't. You would probably you would have a you would have a great experience. Yep. But you wouldn't be able to process all that information, right? You wouldn't be you able don't even to know what's happening. Yeah, because you don't know what's happening. Yeah, right. It's like a progression of skills. We need to we need to slowly but surely advance our progression of skills. Like we were talking about, you know, um, the the buck up in the high country that I airball missed a couple of times a couple seasons ago. Yeah. Guess what? I don't have. A, I mean, granted, I didn't gut shoot anything. I didn't make any bad shots. Um, I mean, they were all bad, but like I didn't wound the animal. Yeah. So I guess in a hunting scenario or a hunting capacity, like those were not quote unquote bad shots yeah. in the sense that I didn't wound an animal and not recover it. So, but that was a tremendous learning experience. I, I, I got to say, Brian Morgan at Hat Creek said something that I really liked and it was about wind calls and it's like something along the lines of, there's no such thing as a bad wind call if you accounted for everything that you were visually seeing. Exactly. If you, right. if there's not always an answer no, at the exactly. end of the day, it's a fucking guess. Yep. And so mm -hmm. if you fire that round and in your instance with that, that story you were telling me about that, that deer, I was like, I, if I were in your shoes, I would not regret it. I'd be like, if I, I still would have made that same exact call because there was no reason to believe. Otherwise. Exactly. Right. That was what the information that I had yeah. made the firing solution based upon those parameters that I could interpret. Exactly. And I, I, you know, you go through all of those steps <clears throat> and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you yeah. know, a year prior to that, I killed a goat in the Grand Teton National Park at almost 30 degree up angle, 760 yard shot. And I ended up holding. I ended up holding a little bit of wind, but not not a whole lot. But still, that's a high. That's a high consequence shot. Yeah. Right. For sure. And so, even though we were trying to cull those animals and kill them, that doesn't mean that I'm just going to go be cavalier and and make really really irresponsible choices in mm. wind calls and just try to put a hole in something and let them bleed out. Right. Yeah. Like, no, that's not the way I'm going to do business. So. 
yeah, having those experiences, like in that situation, I was at 11,000 feet, right? It was 11,000 feet and I had this goat at 700 and something, 60 something yards. And that was what I was supposed to, I was, I was there to do that. I mm -hmm. hiked my fucking ass all the way up from the bottom to go do that. So we're going to do that. And you make your decision. And, and some of the guys that I was hunting with, they were like, no, no, not doing it. That's too far. There's way too many, way too many things. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm comfortable with that. I can do that. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, I did, and I did it with utmost level of confidence or else I wouldn't have shot. That's good. So it was just the conditions were right. The goat presented itself at a, day, at a part of, uh, of the day where the wind hadn't picked up yet. We'd already been camped up there for a couple of days. So I had been paying real close attention to all the air movements throughout the times of the day. And I knew that it was pretty consistent. And I was like, hey, I'm pretty confident that within the next two hours, we can sit here for about two hours before the wind starts getting to the point where it's like, nah, I can't shoot. Yeah. I would say like, what? What would really determine how far out you would take that shot is the wind, probably number one. Mm -hmm. Like, if it's dead, then it's really gravity. Well, like, but... The other part of that too, for me personally, terminal it, performance. Well, not even terminal performance because we have bullets nowadays that that are really, really effective, and they do what they're designed to do. So I'm not really worried about the terminal performance. I'm what I'm worried about is we all know that that beyond that that 800 yard mark, when we get things wrong they get magnified exponent they get yeah. magnified big time yeah, right for sure. and so there are a lot of things that we can get wrong which when we're shooting at a piece of steel it's pretty low pretty low consequence yeah. right okay i miss either i lose a point or you know my sense of self-worth takes a little knock yeah. all right so but on an animal it's a different story because you know that's just uh, i mean there's there's people out there that have different point of view and that's their, that's their, that's their deal. And I'm not here to judge anyone other than myself, but it's out of respect because it's a living creature. Yeah. And you know, um, I've just shifted my point of view on killing things over the years. I get it. So, um, yeah, I, I like, yeah, I, I'm going to reword that. I'm not saying, Oh, if there was zero wind from me to a mile, I'm taking yeah. a shot. Like, yeah, for sure. There's gotta be, mm -hmm that it's, cap and it's also cartridge specific right Absolutely. so like we start looking at you know we start looking at different cartridges and we go okay well i want to be able to connect with a first round at 1200 at 1200 plus yards you're not doing it with a 556 five, not doing it with <laughs> 556 five, homie like i'm gonna i'm gonna look at a cartridge and go okay what what is my wind error per mile an hour at these ranges versus these projectiles at these speeds at this altitude. Yeah. yeah. So like we're going to take all of this shit into account and we're going to make a decision on what is the cartridge that's going to give me the highest hit probability and then balance that with practicality. Right? 100%. So that's the name of the game, right? And yeah. and so for like a mountain a mountain hunting rifle, for me what I look for is performance in the wind because that's the that's the largest variable that that is especially in the mountains non-deterministic yeah i, would I can only agree. like i can shoot in so many different locations and gather so many different experiences it's, but at the end of the day it's changing 
it's always going to be changing. At, yeah, man. Like I said, Hat Creek, I, I saw bullets do things that I didn't know bullets could do. And it's like, none of that is something that I could have like visually seen something and been like, oh yeah, hundred percent. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to prep for that. Yeah, like, exactly. It just happens. Yeah. You're not at that level. Yeah. As a beginning shooter, you'd just be like, you'd be like googly eyed going, <laughs> I'm just going to do whatever the bullet says, man. Now, as the day, as the days went on, I saw a pattern and I was like, all right, I'm not really seeing it, but I already know from data on previous engagement that this is probably, probably going to happen. I should probably favor low on this target from an updraft. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that it was usually the case. Or down downdraft. Right. Um, but, yeah. No, that's... Uh, it's, that's violent. I mean, with regard to wind and terrain, that's a violent country where that is. Very. Yeah. Um, I hunt right on the other side of the river from that. And those canyons are ridiculously... Oh, so you know you've been there yeah it's it's That's... yeah i mean there's part there's points where i've where i've hunted on the on the washington side or or the you know in the oregon side where it's just like i can't shoot today homie yeah even if i even if i see that critter i can't shoot today he, i mean he's gonna have to be within 500 yards <laughs> yeah you know because it's 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 nuclear out here so it's it's different than shooting paper or steel. Totally, and I'm man. not saying yeah. that from experience because, like I said, I've never really been hunting. That's something I still need to do. So it's not any experience talking, but I understand mm -hmm. the uh, the principle of it at least. Yeah, and, and I mean, well, the other part of hunting too is that like you could be sitting there and glassing all day long for many days in a row, and then all of a sudden it's go time, like. Now, right now, you haven't shot that rifle in eight days. Figured out. <laughs> now it's, you, you know, now you got to, you know, you got to shot at, you know, 600 plus yards or whatever it is, you know, and you got to be able to say, okay, cool, let's do that. One of the things I like to do, the range is pretty close to my house, so I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard, but I'll just drive out there intentionally with only 10 rounds, hmm. just 10 rounds. That way, you know, mentally, I can't make it up. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. like I got, I got 10 rounds and I want to hit 10 targets. I'm going to say, I'm going to keep it. I'm like going to keep it. I'm going to keep it 800 and in. I like that. Right. And just pick random, random 10 targets that are 800 yards and in whatever the wind conditions are, whatever it is, based your experience on and say, okay, well, I've shot live critters out to 800 yards. So let's just maintain and and see if those skills stay sharp i would also trying to i could imagine like you were saying earlier determine a cartridge that best suits that specific role because mm -hmm. uh, like i always say there's no free lunch where you gain in one aspect you sacrifice in another so what are you willing yeah on the hunting side of the house the what you're willing to sacrifice is barrel life over everything else okay yeah barrel life is of no consequence when we start talking about things like that gotcha. you can't be if somebody's gonna uh, if somebody's gonna complain about barrel life it's like dude we're not we're not we're talking apples to oranges right now yeah like we have to be okay with the fact that you know um I might burn, I might, I might torch that barrel in, you know, 800 rounds or whatever it is. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, what I'm looking for, for, 
for a for a mountain rifle is something that has the ability to cut wind really really well and be forgiving and have fairly manageable recoil because a lot of times i hunt by myself gotcha. and um you need i need to be i need to be able to see where well like that deer that i told you in which it, it wouldn't have fucking mattered if <laughs> i could see because the buck brush swallowed it swallowed everything up you couldn't yeah. have saw, seen anything um and you're definitely not picking up trace from a seven psalm and a 10 pound hunting rifle no you know, well, in a field <laughs> shooting position you know what i mean like yeah. you're not that's not happening so if you had to pick Kalen Wojcik has to pick one cartridge to for hunting. He, he has to live and die by it. Six five PRC. Six five PRC. Hundred percent. Why? Um, it's a it's a great balance between. Um, it's a great balance between a low recoiling six and a half millimeter bullet with an extremely high performer in terms of external ballistics. Okay. You do get the best of both worlds with the 6.5 PRC. It, it is pretty hard to beat, and, and it's low recoil. Yeah. I, oh, so here's something then. Uh, again, I haven't really hunted, so, uh, but I always see people knocking the 6.5 Creedmoor for hunting. And what's your, what is your opinion on that? I mean, all jokes aside, you know, the 6.5 Creedmoor, we've talked about this a lot of times. Like, everybody likes to poke fun at Phil for, for killing his bull with a 6.5 Creedmoor. But I guess what? It that motherfucker it. is dead, and we have consumed the majority of him. So, but I, you didn't kill it harder. <laughs> I, we just didn't kill it hard enough, apparently. Or he didn't kill it hard enough, apparently. Um, the the 6.5-millimeter bullet is a really effective projectile when it comes to terminal performance and with modern bullet design and technology now i've seen firsthand uh i've got a lot of experience killing critters with the 6.5 creedmoor um, uh, a couple of buddies of mine uh, and i went to africa in uh, 2016 and we did a cull hunt we shot 40 plus big game animals in a, in, a, in a really compressed amount of time, and we killed them all with 6.5 Creedmoor shooting 143 ELDXs. Nice. And there was only a couple of animals that um, that required more than one bullet. And, and honestly, like, hey, you know, hunting is hunting. Every once in a while, you're going to make a bad shot. And some sometimes there's a couple of critters we made some bad shots on. Yeah. Comes with the territory. So the bullets all performed so consistently and so effectively that it was like we stopped collecting them because they were all the same. So what? what's the, I know the 143 ELDX is the precision hunter line of ammunition versus like your 140 ELD match. So is it, I've, I've heard mixed things. Is What is like the main There's, difference? So the, two, the difference between those two projectiles is one is a bonded bullet and one is what is known as a cup and core or a full metal jacket projectile. Technically, it's not even a full metal jacket because they've got the 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 the, the, te the, yeah. the, the tip on there. Um, but an ELDX is a bonded bullet, which means that the copper jacket is chemically bonded to the to the lead core, so that all expands as one. Okay. Okay. So a cup and core projectile, it's literally a lead core with a copper jacket 
uh, swaged around it. Swaged, never heard yeah, that it's, word. Yeah, it's, it's called swaging. <laughs> swaging. So you're basically just kind of smashing this copper jacket uh-huh. over the top of this lead core, and you're forming it using a series of dyes. I've heard a lot of people having success, though, hunting with just ELDM. Oh, I have. I've killed, I've killed a ton of animals with the ELDM. Oh, you too? Okay. Yeah. It's a standard, it's the same bullet design as a burger bullet. Really? Yeah. It's okay. just a, it's a, called a cup and core projectile, and it has, um, it has a lead core, but the copper jacket itself is not bonded to the lead core. So it's designed to be, to be shot through paper and, and onto steel. And as a result, and as because of that, we don't really care what happens to the jacket and the and the and the core. It's just going to explode, or it's going to punch a hole in paper, and the bullet's going to hit a dirt burn behind it. Nobody gives a shit what it does. We just needed the bullet to be really consistent, so it has consistent drag characteristics. What North American game would you consider where where you would at least take a pause? A hesitation, if you will, of bringing a six-five Creed more to take that animal. Oh man, okay, so like something big, um, a moose. Okay, I figured a moose. Um, I, 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 my buddy in Alaska, he killed a moose this year with a six-five Creed more. Um, he shot it really? a couple of times. Um, good hits. It will ki- yeah, good hits, but that's a, a pretty big ass animal. He shot a sixty-three-inch bull. So that means his antlers from outside edge to outside tip were 63 inches wide. But big, big fucking animal, okay? So like I can poke a bunch of holes in that thing and it's going to leak, but the volume of blood it needs to leak to die is more significant. A lot. So um, I would say I I definitely would not be purposefully or intentionally chasing a moose with a 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, like a musk ox, I would not be ch- purposefully chasing a musk a musk ox with a six five Creedmoor, and certainly would not be chasing like a Kodiak bear <clears throat> or a brown bear with a six five Creedmoor. Most certainly not. So, like those are the three animals that it would be kind of like. It's probably not a good idea. Elk, you would have other than Phil taking his like. Um, yeah, as long as you have the ability to place that shot well. Uh, there's going to be some people that disagree with me out there, and that's fine. I don't. Uh, that's okay. Um, there are a lot of hunting guides that I know that really would prefer a 30 caliber, 30 caliber bullet to kill an elk with. I think I know who you're talking about. Specifically, <laughs> uh, it's a bunch, right? It's yeah. a bunch. Um, you know, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, Colton Bagnoli. Um, he's he's got a lot of experience as a as a hunting guide. And he's like, look, man, like I really, I would feel a lot more comfortable with clients to show up with a 30 cal to kill an elk with, which I can totally respect, right? Because as a hunting guide, you have no idea the proficiency level of the client that's about to show up. You have no idea, right? The Colton you said? His name's Colton, yeah. Was that the Pap Winkle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yep. who I figured you were talking about because mm-hmm. yep. I see so much. Yep. Colton's, the... Colton's extremely experienced, very knowledgeable, very proficient, and I respect his I respect his opinion. Yeah, I see his Q and A's, and it blows my mind. Yeah. With like what he talks um, about. So, uh, yeah, I do agree. I, I totally agree, and that's where I that's why I like that seven millimeter. Um, I, I, and I say my one cartridge would be that six point five PRC. Just because it's a fantastic balance. Okay. Um, 
I would absolutely, I would have no problem killing, killing an elk with a 6.5 PRC, no problem whatsoever, only because I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna put the bullet exactly where I need it to go in order for it to kill the animal. Um, but I also have some love for a 30 cal Magnum, man. I got a couple of 300 wind mags that shoot really, really well, and they have their place. They absolutely have their place. Were, I see, I, I would have guessed, back to the original question of like, what would be your one round? I would have bet money, you would have said like a seven millimeter of some sort. Well, I'm, I, I, and the only reason I say that 6.5 PRC over the seven millimeter is, um, also, I mean, there's some pros because it's a short action versus a long action. Um, but I'm, I'm having a seven millimeter PRC chambered up right now. I'm jealous. And I'm really, I'm really excited to see what that cartridge brings because if Hornady is, is advertising, which I have every reason to believe that it's real, um, a factory cartridge, a factory seven millimeter pushing 180 grain bullets at 3,000 feet a second, it's nothing to scoff at, all right? I could get my seven SOM going 3,000 feet a second, but like I'm right on the ragged edge of, of, of ruining brass to get that. And I also have to have a, a really long free bore cut into the, into, the, into the throat. And it just like, it's very custom. Whereas if we can get a, if we could get a seven millimeter in a factory cartridge, that's pushing a 180 grain bullet at 3,000 feet a second. That's that's pretty cool. Why why that over? For instance, the 300 Win Mag, where you can push like a like I know out of the Mark 13 rifles, like they're averaging typically somewhere around 30 30 or so with like right. 180 grain. So it's like hey, yeah. you got the speed and it's a bigger bullet. Yeah. Well, with that comes the tra the trade off of recoil. It, would it is it significantly more than yeah than a seven is. PRC you think? Well, okay, so well if you were talking one hundred and eighty grain bullet to one hundred and eighty grain bullet, not really. Okay. Um, but if you start getting into like the two hundred and thirty grain bullets versus a one eighty, oh yeah, now it's a big okay. disparity. Like you're sure. literally going to noticeably see a difference in recoil. You're going to yeah. be like, holy shit, that's that's that significant. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> right. Whereas. Um, and you're going to have you're going to have greater barrel life with a 30 cal versus a seven millimeter, mm -hmm. um, but then again, like I don't really like barrel life is not. It's a consumable. It's a consumable, right? I mean, breaking in a barrel and um, breaking in a barrel and doing load development is time consumption and component consumption, but it's a process that is you know it's a necessary evil no matter what, right? No matter what new barrel you get. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, I've, I've had three or four barrels cut that all shoot the same load because they're all, it's, it's, it's all science, right? It's all vibrations, it's all timing, it's all mathematics, and you can, you can get it to work. So um, it's totally doable. I'm really, really curious to see what you have to say about the seven millimeter PRC when you get one. I'm it's excited. Like, it's yeah. going to be cool. I've always, I have minimal experience on any seven millimeter. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've shot one, like maybe a seven millimeter, seven millimeter 08. Um, or that's a great cartridge. It's a really good cartridge. 
Yeah, it's big in South Carolina when I was. Well, <laughs> think about there. it, right? So a 308 shoots 175 grain bullet, right? Mm -hmm. About 2,700 feet a second, 2,730, sure. somewhere in there. Now I'm taking a 308, I'm necking it down to seven millimeter and I'm shooting 168 grain bullet that has a tremendous ballistic advantage with regard to drag performance. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm essentially taking that 308 and I'm turning it into a 6.5 Creedmoor performance. Yeah. With I mean, a 7 I millimeter really wanna... in a short action. For sure. Like that kind of crushed my spirit with the PR, 7 PRC because it's long action. I'm like, ah, well, that means I can't just get a barrel and throw it in my AI, unfortunately, my ATX rifle. Get a Tika. Yeah. I mean, I really do need to get another rifle. Um, I guess I got one other question and what your thought would be, and this is a this is a big one, 30-06. Oh, There's man, so much what are you doing that to me for? <laughs> There's so... I tell you, man, when I worked at Palmetto State Armory, um, so I, I worked on the gun range. I had nothing to do with the product. I just worked on the gun range. And one of the processes, they, I was always the guy for scope mounting and zeroing. And every hunting season, I can't tell you at this indoor 25-yard range how many 30-06s and 270s I had to zero. That is like those are the, the South Carolina resident's cartridge. Well, those are, I mean, those are classic... Those are classic American hunting cartridges. So what do you think about modern day? Outdated? Um, yeah, I mean, and I, like, I'm, I know there's, I know there's listeners that are gonna be all up in arms about this and, I'm, and, and I do apologize, but I don't apologize. You're entitled to your opinion just as I am my own. Um, the 30 odd six became uh, obsolete because it's just not efficient in terms of uh, the amount of powder that you can that that you burn in that cartridge case to get the velocities that you're getting, right? So there's a reason that there's a reason that we looked at that cartridge and said that's no longer efficient, right? So, so just like drag wise, it's shit. Well, no, it's With more along the lines of like, okay, so all right, well, I'm gonna get a, I'm going to get a. 168 grain bullet traveling at 3,000 feet a second. Maybe even not even that. Maybe it's like 2850 out of a 30 odd six. Yeah. But it takes me a lot of powder to get that. Why? Because it's a longer case and we have to have a specific burn rate of powder in order to produce a pressure curve that works for that case volume and bullet weight and gotcha. bore diameter. So all of those things are interrelated. Okay. Um, I, I would strongly recommend that you listen to uh, Hornady's internal ballistics series. You would learn much from that. I did listen really to it. Really good. I need to listen to it again. So remember <laughs> when Jaden was talking about, you know, the volume? Yeah. Right? The volume disparity when, when, like, so they have to look at that case volume and say, okay, there's this much weight of a projectile that we're trying to push we have this much volume of the case. So now we have to create, we have to figure out what powder is gonna best fit that case volume for that bullet weight. And we have to figure out what the pressure curve is. And 
yeah, there's a science to it, right? So there's a reason we don't shoot 30 out six anymore. Like it's not, it, people still do it. Yeah. Um, but it's not the most effective cartridge. Is it, is it accurate? Of course it's accurate. Every rifle cartridge is accurate if you put the time and effort into making it accurate. Yeah. Some are more, more inherently accurate than others, like the 6BR series. Like you don't have to, as long as that chamber is cut straight, that damn thing's gonna shoot. Like it doesn't matter what you feed it with. It's gonna shoot really, really well because it's a well-designed cartridge case. We just created cartridges that are more, that are better, better designed. Yeah, that's fair. Like a 270, like the 270 Winchester. It's like, is there anything wrong with it? Not at all. Just like there's nothing wrong with the 30 odd six, not at all. Shoot that thing until your freaking heart's content. If you want to chamber another 25 barrels, you go with your bad self. I feel like the 30 odd six has a longer barrel life than I would think. It's a 30 cal that is essentially, it's a, it's a 30 cal and you're probably going to get about 8,000 rounds out of it. Okay. 8,000 8, rounds, maybe even 10,000. I don't know. Probably even 10,000. See, you mentioned Jaden. It's like, that's one guy I hope I befriend someday just so I can pick his brain about all the shit that he has up there. He's probably forgotten more shit than I will ever know. He's Jaden is very good at being able to take very complex external ballistics um, concepts and put them into terms that that we can all relate to. Sure. Yeah. And and that's the mark of a teacher, right? That's the yeah. mark of a good teacher is somebody that can say, okay, hmm, how can I explain this? All right. Well. I mean, there's a, there's, that's a real thing when people say that you don't really know it unless you can teach it to a kid. Yeah, I agree. I tried this, right? I tried this with my son, you know, my son's 12 and a couple of years ago he was, you know, expressing interest in, in shooting and how it all worked. And he was just like, dad, how do we figure this out? How do we figure this out? And I was like, oh, this is perfect. All right, Wojcik, let's see what you got, homie. <laughs> you know, like, he still is like, I don't get it. Right. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so we would just sit and have conversations at the dinner table, and I'd get a freaking notepad out and be like, okay, man, this is how this works, right? So we have gravity, which so, keeps us attached <laughs> to the earth, and we start at the bare bones, Yeah. and now the kid gets oh, it. He's he, Bobbly Swagger now. He, he figures, I mean, that kid figured out, we were at the range once, and um, I had a, I had a client with me, and we were practicing, we were getting ready to shoot a match or something. And um, my boy was out there and he was shooting, uh, I have a 223 trainer set up and he shoots that, shooting 77 grain or 78 grain bullets out of it. Well, um, I had them all dialed up and, and he was hitting it, uh, a plate at 600 yards. And I said, okay, bud, you stay here. You know, you got a pile of ammo, just wear that plate out and just play with the wind, right? You can see where your shots are going, you know, just. Do your best to continue to stay on the plate. Well, he got bored with that, and he decided that he wanted to shoot out to 900 yards. And he had watched me enough times go into my phone and manipulate a ballistic software program that he knew what his rifle was, he knew what to do. And you didn't tell him. I didn't tell him anything. 
Mm, right? That's awesome. So I'm working with I'm working with the client, and he comes over and he said, "Dad, I just hit the 900 yard target." You're like stolen valor. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you were shooting at 600 yards, right? I'm thinking he's doing a little little ego projection, right? And he's like, nope, 900 yards. I'll show you. And I go over there, and not only is he sh- is he hitting it, he's hitting it from the standing position from behind a barricade. Good for him. And he hit that thing like four times in a row. And I was like, okay. I go, how did you figure out how to do that? And he goes, oh, I just went into your phone and did the thing. And, and you know, I like this right here. And I punched in 900 and he figured it out. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it's relatively easy if you do what you're asked to do when it comes to the fundamentals of marksmanship. He just, he just applied it. I'm jealous. I mean, I don't have kids. I don't want kids, but I'm jealous of uh, it's that, fun. Uh, that it's, seeing that you did that. It's fun. Yeah. It's been cool. It's been really cool to watch him. Um, and he's kind of like a jack of all trades type thing. He's not super focused on shooting. He's not super focused on on anything really, which is which is great. Like you figure it out, man. Like when you start hounding me to go do things, then that's where we will direct our attention, whatever those things may be. I dig it. I respect so. that. It's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, I'd agree. How yeah. long have we been going? I don't even know. It's uh, it's eleven o'clock. What time? It's eleven. Oh my God! Phil's awake. Guys, Phil's alive. You can st- <laughs> Phil is here. He did snore earlier. Hey, we did a podcast, Phil. Did I really snore? Yeah, he snored in the microphone. All right, so well, that was good. That yeah, was a, that, was, that really was a very that was an interesting conversation. It was really uh, Ryan, good. it was it was it's super good to have conversation with somebody who's who's really passionate about it and and knowledgeable, and um, you're also super hungry for it, which is awesome because we're all hungry for it as well. Hence my food analogies. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm yeah. gonna start a new thing. Hashtag no free lunch. Right, That's- no free lunch. Right on, man. Uh, well, um, saddle. no free lunch. No free lunch. <laughs> You're like, what the that's fuck a, does yeah, this that's, mean? Until Ryan's, yeah, that's actually a good one. That's Ryan's t-shirt idea right there. No free lunch. No free lunch. I got to g- gain a lot of weight. Just get fat, <laughs> fat as shit. Walk around, have crumbs in my beard. No free lunch. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, right on, man. Well, that's so awesome. tomorrow's another yeah. day. Uh, positional clinic, day two. Uh, weather is weather's going to start to turn on us pretty savagely by Friday, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So I'm looking forward to another day tomorrow. It's going to be a good one. And hopefully we get some more wind like we got today and uh, give these guys an opportunity to just continue to elevate their skills. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on here and coming out to this. Like this is my first podcast with you guys. First time seeing, I've met Phil a few times, first time meeting you. And so far, like everything has just been phenomenal so really appreciate bringing me out for sure man absolutely means a lot happy to have you all righty all right everybody bye phil (laughs) keep your face on the gun guy (laughs) no free lunch